what you are and where you are because of what's gone into your mind. You can change what you are. You can change where you are by changing what goes into your mind. You cannot become what you need to be by remaining what you are. If you can't take a huge step to begin with, take as big a step as you can, but take it now. That's the key. Take it now. You can have everything in life you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want. Today's a brand new day, and it's yours. Welcome to the True Performance Show by Ziegler. Every positive pursuit in life, every progression of personal development, change is fueled by one thing, inspiration. It's the drive and the hunger that propels every good endeavor. Without it, we merely have a dream, but never actually move. With it, we can actually overcome insurmountable odds to achieve our desires, convictions, and calling. In this show, we come together to drill down into what really makes success tick and how we can apply it to our unique personal and work lives. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and right now we're going to inspire your true performance. Hi, everyone. This is Kevin, and this is Ziegler's True Performance Show, episode 411, a primary platform of Zig Ziglar's was relational success, bottom line. I mean, he said you can't truly be considered successful in your business life if your home life is in shambles. So my question to you today is, would you describe your home, the place you return to after a long day's work, would you describe it as a haven of peace? Is it joyful, peaceful, inspiring? Are the relationships deep and meaningful and rich? Is there room for improvement and and what would help? And how do you go about doing it? How do you deal with the obstacles and challenges in the way of your peace and relational success? So in today's show, I bring you Joanne F. Miller, and we're discussing her new book called Haven of Peace. So here's an overview of the premise. Joanne writes, I learned at a very young age that a home full of anger, divorce, and disrespect was not the way I wanted to begin my marriage. So at age 19, I drew a line in the sand and declared I would change my family tree. But that took determination and intentional living. I had a lot to learn, and I eagerly sought out resources to head me in the right direction. Creating a haven of peace doesn't take a lot of money. It doesn't take a beautiful new home or all the stuff we think we need in order to be happy. You can begin building a peaceful and loving environment immediately by following the principles and insights I lay out in the chapters of this book, creating the proper ambiance, practicing being kind rather than right, maintaining the proper hierarchy in the family are only a few of the many ways to loving and lasting relationships, distraction and disconnect, chaos and busyness, disappointment and frustration are realities that cover our days like a blanket of smog, intentionally wiping the cares of the world from your shoes at the front gate and stepping into a sanctuary where love is unconditional, peace is the norm and laughter is abundant can make life a grand adventure in spite of what is happening in the world at large. Isn't that folks a beautiful picture? So that's the premise of today. So who is Joanne Miller? Well, here's something interesting on Ziegler's true performance show right here. We've interviewed people like Dave Ramsey, Michael Hyatt, Dan Miller, Joanne is a close longtime friend of Dave's wife, Sharon, and Michael's wife, Gail. You'll often see Instagram and Facebook posts of them going on travels and, uh, and, and trips together. 
And as far as Dan Miller, well, that's his wife. They run the 48 Days Empire together. She's been a raving fan, a speaker at their live events, and an integral piece to the success of their thriving 48 Days community. She's an accomplished artist, speaker, blogger, and author of five children's books and co-author of Be Your Finest Art. She finds the best fodder for her writing is right in front of her being the active mother of three grown children and grandmother to 16 very creative and adventure-seeking grandchildren. And folks, yes, she is my mother. Interestingly, we get such rave reviews left in iTunes and elsewhere regarding the show, but we recently had a review left in Stitcher that was less than stellar, and it literally referenced me, Kevin Miller, and I quote, pimping my family. Yes. Uh, Well, here I am at it again. Uh, Zig Ziglar was well known for his nepotism, and if you don't know that word, the definition is the practice among those with power or influence of favoring relatives or friends. So Zig's son, Tom, is, of course, the CEO of Ziggler and generally my co-host for these shows, Uh, and he's been CEO for many years. Uh, Zig's daughter, Cindy, runs customer service at Ziggler. His daughter, Julie, is a primary speaker and presenter and leader at the Ziggler Legacy Certification events. And very few people who work with Ziggler were ever brought in from the outside. They were generally friends and family first, including myself. It was from a personal relationship with Tom that I came to be part of the Ziegler family. So guilty as charged on my own account. I just happen to have a family of speakers and presenters and authors and influencers, and there will be other Millers that will be on the show eventually. Well, hey, before I bring you this interview, I want to tell you about a new supporter of Ziegler's True Performance Show. Qualaroo. Qualaroo gives you the power to engage with your customers in real time, collect valuable insights, and increase your conversions. Getting eyes on your website, product, or service are only as good as action, of course, and ultimate conversion. So there's a wall between you and your users, and few businesses work to break down that barrier, but you can. With Qualaroo real-time surveys, you can ask your customers for feedback at the ideal moment. They know what they want from your product, what's broken, and why they're leaving your site. You just need to ask. Qualaroo integrates with dozens of tools you use every day like Salesforce, Optimizely, and Tableau. So you can power up your growth with valuable insights. The teams at companies like Uber and eBay and Spotify and Zillow and many more rely on Qualaroo to understand their audience. With class-leading targeting and segmentation ability, it's easy to ask the right users the right questions at the right time. Join the industry leaders and take the guesswork out of your strategy. Visit Qualaroo and you'll get your first two weeks of service free when you sign up. No commitment. Cancel anytime. Again, that's Qualaroo, Q-U-A-L-A-R-O-O dot com. Okay, then, folks. Well, here is the interview with Joanne F. Miller. Here we go. Well, folks, so here I sit in Franklin, Tennessee at the sanctuary, my mom and dad's uh, compound here on the property where they host so many events for 48days.com where my dad's study right now, where he and my mom are both sitting in front of me. And of course, talking about this book that my mom wrote, creating a haven of peace. So mom, I wanted to dive in and just say that in today, ask in today's culture, what do you see as the biggest threat to having a haven of peace for most people, most families? I think people are extremely busy in fact, many people use that as a badge of honor. They're, the more busy they are, the more important they are, or th- at least in their own minds. And I think that that busyness has a tendency 
to create so much surrounding our families that we don't take time to really sit and play, meditate, think, and act on intentionally making that haven of peace. I've heard you remark a couple of times recently, Kevin, while being here with the family and being on vacation, so to speak, um, that, wow, you get caught up even in your own work and in your own taking care of things that are necessary to having a large family, which you do, and you forget to play. Mm -hmm. And somewhere along the line from growing up from childhood into adulthood, we do forget to play. We forget to have those times of just fun and laughter like we've had these last few days of family games and talking and laughing together and just having fun. Well, so there's a principle, but do you find, so when you, yeah, you talk about it, if I make it personal, the fact that I forget to take times to play, and, I, and I'd have to say, I think that there's an addiction for myself and many others of not only busyness, but a production, you know, especially yes. those who are motivated, inspired, they want to produce more, yeah. but to take what you're talking about, if we look at, you know, Sabbath, meditation, taking time to create that, it, it feels, do you find it, it's, it's like a discipline. It's something you have to really buckle down and either you're going to make it happen or you're not. You really do. I think it's important when we're talking about uh, daily schedules or goals, uh, whether it be daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, is to schedule out time. I know for your dad and me, we every so often just have to take a few days away. And not that we don't enjoy being home. We love our haven of peace. We love being here and and the peacefulness that we have surrounding us. But when we're here, we also have our work surrounding us. And it's very difficult to pull away from that because we have that mindset that I think it's the Miller genes where we tend to want to always be productive, always doing something. And that's not all that uncommon these days because there's so much out there. There's so much available. And so we get caught up in that and we forget that we need to have time to breathe, to exhale instead of just inhaling all of the time. And that's important for life. And it's important for balance in our, in our personal lives and in our family lives. But taking time to just sit and listen to a child Take a walk with that child. Take a walk together as a couple. Just take time to breathe is so important. Taking time to play. It's part of why I schedule uh, having art classes every Wednesday. I feel like that's my time to play. To have fun, to just really not have to make plans or think beyond what's, uh, what I want to put on that canvas. So I, of course, know you and I hear you speak to this, but I want you to dive in a little bit more in just your message that you are promoting through creating a haven and peace. So you talked about art and about, uh, well, your book was you know, creating your, your best art. And to do that, is there a need, do you find yourself needing to give honor, bring honor and importance to the value of peace and margin, because that is where we get the best out of ourselves. And when we are stuck in that busyness, we're running at half mast. Yes, de I think definitely we can run ourselves into the ground without even knowing it. I know in this past year, for instance, your dad has had some uh, health issues and he's been addressing those. And we have a, a great nutritionist that we're working with. Uh, but 
what it boils down to is that there's not been enough margin in our lives. And there's not been enough what I call white space. You know, it's like when you're reading a book, you need to leave some white space in there so that you can, uh, your eyes don't get tired of just reading all the print. Well, it's the same principle applies to our lives. We can get so um, enamored with being busy all of the time, being so productive that we don't create that white space. And it's intentional. It has to be intentional. It doesn't just happen on its own. In fact, it rarely happens on its own. And sometimes it takes uh, a health issue. It takes a financial issue or uh, some type of an emotional or uh, relationship issue that makes us have to stop and redirect. And in that redirection, gain a new perspective on really what is important? What is important? And I know that you have coming home like this and having all of our family together. We have 23 of us here right now. It's loud and chaotic and so much fun. But you realize the importance of just taking that time of being with family and how it, how it, we can crowd that out so easily with all of the things that we have that are going on every day around us. So it takes intentional living. I think the primary message with creating a haven of peace is that we can do this in spite of our circumstances. We can have peace in our homes. We can have that family peace, that harmony in our marriage, harmony with our children, that peacefulness that we all really want deep down by intentional living. It does not just happen on its own any more than a good marriage happens just circum- just uh, as as uh, Clara, uh, my nine-year-old granddaughter, told me just a little bit ago, well, just surreptit- surreptitiously, you know, just sneaks up on us. No, it doesn't. It has to be intentional. Well, and I saw you speaking about circumstances. Of course, that's what I grew up in. That's what I can testify to is that regardless of what was happening with the business, with the finances, with family relationships, extended family, especially no matter what, that home, you guys worked so hard to make it a a haven of peace. And so it helped me weather those storms. I feel like I was given in so many ways faith on a silver platter Mm -hmm. that things will be okay anyways. Things will work out anyways because you exemplified that. Well, so one overall thing here, though, that I feel is important that I want you to speak to is you don't say in the book as you go through it, you're not saying that the point is to pursue a peaceful, comfortable, stress-free life overall. But do I hear instead the point is creating a haven of peace to come to, to be in, to recharge, to renew, so that you can go out in the places that are stressful, that are comfortable? Is that, it feels like a big distinction because otherwise, I know, I know you, you're not calling people just to the easy life. It has not been easy. You've been around enough, obviously, to know that we've had some very difficult times in our lives and through our marriage. We've had some some real hurdles to overcome that often will break families apart. And yes, I do believe that anybody can create a haven of peace through their circumstances so that you then have a haven for somebody to come home to when they've had a really... as. Uh, Judith Force said in the book, that's our family favorite, a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. You know, even during those times, you know that when you go home, you can just make a sigh of relief. You can kick back, have surround, be surrounded by love and 
people who really care and want to listen and will commiserate with you. And no matter what has happened, you are loved unconditionally. And that's what creating a haven of peace is all about. It isn't a matter of having a, a great mansion and, and lots of dollars in the bank. It isn't about having everything perfect. I hope and pray that people who read this don't think that we ever had it that way. I, I want people to see, and that's why I was very open and real with people in the book. I want them to see that even through those times of real hardship or uh, frustration or grief or misery, whatever, that you can still have a place to come to that where you feel safe and where you feel like uh, you have a place of immunity no matter what's happened. Because my kids weren't perfect. I know you were really close to it. I know that, Kevin. (laughs) But um, we had things that happened, and my kids always knew that they could come home and they would be loved regardless. Yeah. Well, so, you know, in the aspect, I think people who see somebody who's successful, who then from a fitness standpoint invest a lot of time, that they often have this myth that, oh, now they can afford that time Mm -hmm. to work out and pursue physical fitness and have a trainer and yada, yada. And of course, we know statistically that, no, the reason that they are successful is because they invested in that from the Mm get-go. And I, of course, saw you, and I know you're calling people to the same thing, that, yeah, if you want to have that, have peace, you've got to start now wherever you're at. It's not something that you arrived at some point and now you can afford because you're probably going to miss it. Exactly. You can do it right now, starting right now with little steps. And I, I've talked about this a lot in, in the book, just taking a few steps at a time to gain that peace. I mean, we've been married for 48 years. This did not happen overnight. I've been uh, working on this all through our marriage because we drew a line in the sand early in our marriage. And Dan and I could both use the crutch of saying, well, we had some dysfunction in our backgrounds. I more so, I think, than he, but both of us with that dysfunction decided in 1968, all those years ago, that we were going to change that branch of our family tree. And we have certainly done so. And the fact that we have 23 of us here to these last few days to spend time together and just laugh and enjoy each other is a testimony to that. And I'm so excited about having that legacy to leave behind. Now, but now it doesn't stop with us. That's the exciting part. What when you have this, you know, Barbara Bush said many years ago, it, uh, the, the uh, future of our country lies not what happens in the White House, but what happens in your house. And if we start, Dan and, and I, in well 48 years ago in changing our family tree that has trickled down to my three children their spouses their children and beyond it goes to to, uh, outward towards our friends and our community I mean it makes an impact in the whole world and if we all did our part to have that creating a peace create that haven of peace in our home then we will eventually branch out and make this broader and broader. It's it's like a, the the ripples in a, a lake. It's just amazing what difference it makes in the community. Well, it also reminds me of what uh, you guys, your friend Andy Andrews, talked about in the interview that we did with him here on The Zig Show, that our focus is not to 
raise successful kids, uh, but successful adults. And I, you're testifying to that. And I'm grateful to be a recipient of that. Well, and speaking of examples, you talked about that folks in the book. I mean, that is a big part of what she goes through in the book is giving you tangible action steps, no matter where you are that you can take in your life and apply today. So it is a book of tips uh, on how to begin this. Well, so to your story, Zig is known for often starting his books, his presentations with telling his story and his story of, of hardship that really takes away anybody's excuse for not going forward and, mm-hmm. and pursuing their top performance. And in yours, uh, you share in the book, of course, you're not a haven of peace. And I'm wondering this understanding and awareness of the need and the value of having a haven of peace, did that just come naturally from the deficit of it? Is it something you realized early on or was it something that came to you later in life with that being a big ingredient in it, of course, but where did that realization of the value and the uh, devotion to that focus come from? Well, I think a number of things. I think, yes, partly from the deficit. I wanted so much to have that love and peace in my life. But uh, I, I, in just a little bit of background, my mother had been divorced three times. I re- really never knew having a father in the home. So I was raised by a single parent. That's not an excuse to continue a dysfunctional life. That can happen uh, very effectively. I was the oldest of three daughters. I, my sisters looked to me more uh, as a mother in many respects than my, our own mother. And then when I got married, Dan's mother took that place that I really wanted with that love and nurturing and so forth, because my mother was not very nurturing. And she did a lot of yelling and, and, and hitting and, and lashing out uh, to us children. And I could tell you lots of stories, but that's beside the fact. The fact is, regardless of what the background is, what your, what your upbringing is, when do you decide, when do you make that choice to say, this isn't going any further? And we did that when we got married. We just, we loved each other passionately, and we wanted so much to have uh, a peaceful home and a home that wasn't full of yelling and screaming and hair pulling and picking up whatever is available and and slapping or, or beating, that kind of thing. We didn't want that in our family, and we didn't do that. Um, and so I... I think that, though, that was not obviously because we hadn't seen it. We had seen it. But we chose, we deliberately chose not to do that with moving forward. And it's it's like any type of counseling or coaching that you get. You decide, okay, I'm here today. I want to be like this out here. What do I need to do to get there? And one of the things that we did, uh, um, besides doing an awful lot of talking, but uh, along the, the, the way, we decided to do a, a family mission statement. And that was really helpful. More so, I think, after you, were, after you had left home because you, you went out of the house so quickly, right, after, right at the end of high school, because you went into professional bike racing. And so you were gone and traveling a lot. But with the other two, who were seven and ten years younger than you, 
uh, we did a family mission statement. And when somebody violated that, we had all agreed on it, that this is what we wanted our family to stand for. And I wrote about this uh, more in depth in the book, but this is what we wanted uh, the family to stand for. If somebody violated that, whether it's one of the parents or the child, we all called each other accountable. And it really took us out of the hot seat of being the law enforcement officers. Because if I said, Jared, did what you said, uh, what what you just said, or what you just did, fall into what we wanted our family to stand for? And they could easily see yes or no. And so it wasn't us saying you did wrong, they could see it for themselves. And so uh, there were things like that, that we did along the way, that helped us to have that cohesiveness that we wanted more as a family, in spite of my background, or Dan's background, or any other circumstances around us, in spite of the fact that we often didn't have two nickels to rub together. A lot of our marriage, we didn't have two nickels to rub together, especially when you kids were little. It didn't take mountains of money to make us happy. You know, you it's all about choices. Well, and so on that, choices, and of course, it makes me think of Tom Ziegler's primary focal point right now, which is just habits. Not that that's new, but that you know the fastest way to success is replace a bad habit with a good habit and looking at those daily habits. Do you look at this as yes, a lifestyle, but also something that you have as a toolbox uh, or a tool in your toolbox in essence, especially for turbulent times. So if things are easy, if you go through a cycle, a season where things are good, money's good, relationships are good, work is fulfilling, um, there is margin and, and, and things are good. It, it doesn't take a whole lot of effort to create a haven of peace because there's there's the pieces of those are there. And hopefully you've done some things to foster that. But then turbulent times, if we're doing anything of worth, are generally going to hit for various reasons. If that's a time when you go, OK, now I have this knowledge. We have this. Let's get the book out or let's get the mm-hmm. it's something that you do have as a strength, the knowledge and an awareness that has to be engaged more heavily at certain times. Before Joanne answers that question, I want to thank Blue Apron for their support of this show. Folks, I'm an admitted foodie. My kids say I should just quit everything and open a restaurant, which, you know, I just might do that someday. But cooking together builds strong family bonds. Research shows that Blue Apron families cook nearly three times more often. So to all the food lovers in the True Performance audience, and I mean people who like really great tasting, healthy food, welcome to Blue Apron, because that's exactly what they provide. To get a personal endorsement from me, they sent a couple boxes of their food. I got to cook a great meal, which I love to do, but they made it quick and easy by sending fresh, high quality ingredients to prepare incredible recipes. You get pre-portioned ingredients to make delicious home cooked meals, step-by-step directions, even pictures. So for less than 10 bucks per meal, which is great, a huge family like mine, Blue Apron sets the highest quality standards for their community of artisanal suppliers, family-run farms, fisheries, and ranchers. So whether it's Japanese ramen noodles or wild-caught Alaskan salmon or heirloom tomatoes, Blue Apron's bringing you the best. In the first Blue Apron meal they sent me, we had cod, penne pasta, purple potatoes, fresh green beans, and more. I mean, it was excellent. So meals available in August. Uh, This August, spiced pork burgers with goat cheese and cucumber corn salad, summer vegetables, and quinoa bowl with fairy tale eggplants. I've never heard of that. That's awesome. Uh, Shishito peppers and corn, chicken tinga tacos with summer squash and tomato salsa. Jeez, I need that box. Well, you can check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash 
Ziggler. That's blueapron.com slash Ziggler. So Blue Apron, it's a better way to cook. Yeah, yes, definitely. I think that uh, there's no question about the fact that turbulent times come. That's part of life. In fact, I have learned now in my old age, looking back on 48 years of marriage, the best learning experiences we've had that have propelled us to where we are today were those turbulent times best education we could have possibly had. That doesn't mean it was fun and that we went ha-ha when it happened. It was difficult, very difficult. And there were times when I got angry and there were times when I got frustrated and, and disappointed and all of those things. That all happens. That's part of life. But the the whole um, the whole idea is how are you going, what are you going to do with that? What does this make possible? Where are you going to go with it? And I can remember so many times when things looked so bleak, I would, I would pray, God, what do you have for me to learn through this? What can I learn? What can you teach me? Let me be open to that. And I, I feel that way to this very day. I feel that everything that I do can be a learning experience that helps fill in the pieces of the puzzle of our lives in a way that uh, sometimes is very unexpected, sometimes isn't very even appreciated at the time. But looking back, I can see how it all fits together and how it all works. And a lot of that is in perspective. I can look at it and say, woe is me. Or I could look at it and say, wow, that was quite a learning experience. Don't think I want to go through it again. But I did learn from it. I want to go ahead, use that. And invariably, I can help somebody else with that too. Somebody else who's going through something similar. I want to ask you specifically about that because there's a section, I was just trying to find the page in the book, but where you talk about rewriting your story. Yes. uh, Which is classic positive thinking, you know, glass glass half full. And you actually go through your literal story, uh, childhood and the hardships, and then you rewrite it in essence and take some of the negatives and and pull out pull out some positives and also even turn those around and so instead of neglect and abuse and hardship you had some unique experiences some privileges even some strength and understanding and yet so i wanted to ask you about that though because people read it and even thinking about it for myself i mean back then as a child the things happened that hurt you yeah those are real pains yeah, real scars. Definitely. And so I want you to speak to that because I don't assume that you're saying, okay, we're going to gloss over Pollyanna that pretend like it didn't happen and just make it all a bed of roses. Those things happen. Those pains did happen. So how do you reconcile that with also trying to put a, a positive outlook on it? Because I think in S I, I think I assume that what you're talking about here is creating a haven of peace. There's a mindset here that we have to mm-hmm. address too. It's not just circumstantial activities. Speak to that. Yes, I, I want to convey the message that you don't just forget. You don't pretend. I, you know, I, I joke sometimes that I live in a fantasy world. Well, I, maybe I do to a degree. But I think that a, our past is a part of who we are. It's a part of who makes up. It's, it's a part of what makes up our, our DNA, our, our experiences, our lives, uh, and really the, the outcome of our lives. I've known so many people. I've done prison work. I've worked with women from the Tennessee Prison for Women, and I've seen some horrendous stories. And yeah, my story isn't real pretty growing up, but 
I know a lot worse stories, and I know a lot of those stories have had amazingly, incredibly wonderful, successful endings. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, uh, my uh, Dan, your dad, my husband, the guy sitting over there. Yeah, that guy sitting over yeah. there. He talks ab- about how uh, there are so many things that happen to us that are a part of who we are and can be turned into such positive things that lead us in a new direction. And and, and a lot of why he does coaching instead of counseling is because he helps that person to recognize, okay, here's where you are right now. Where do you want to be five years down the road? What can we do to get there? Your past is part of who you are, but it doesn't have to define who you are. And I talk about that quite a bit because, uh, for instance, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis back 17 years ago now. And it took me a few years to come to grips with that because it was frightening. I didn't know where if I might be in a wheelchair by now. Fortunately, I'm not. I do deal with that. And I, I take care of myself and so on and so forth. But without going into all those details, I remember a real pinpoint time in my pa- in my in, during, after that that diagnosis where I said, you know, I'm not going to let this define the rest of my life. And there are people out there who are in pain every day or who have things that they deal with, grief, whatever it might be. That does not have to define who they are for the future. Yes, it plays into it. My MS plays into my life every day, but it doesn't define who I am. So for folks listening to this, for the average person who is just leading a busy life, it may not be critical. It may be okay, but there are things that they want better. They strive for more, which is Mm -hmm. our audience. They wouldn't be listening to the Ziegler show or 48 days if they were not of that cloth for most of them is in embarking on this initially, is it going to necessitate or be best if they take some time to take stock and do some redefining? Oh, I, I highly recommend rewriting your story. I did this with the women in prison uh, in a worship service with about 80 women at one time. And many of these were lifers. They were going to be there for the rest of their lives, uh, barring a miracle. And, they, uh, they, I had them rewrite their story. I read to them what I had written. And by the way, I should say, this was not original with me. Your dad did this in um, his book that he did with Jared, your brother. And I'm totally at a blank. It's Wisdom Meets Passion. Yeah, that book. <laughs> Wisdom Meets Passion. It's a wonderful book. But he, he told two versions of his story along the same line of what, of, of what I did in Creating a Haven of Peace. And it really made me think about how our perspective perspective can be so skewed in the way we present ourselves, define ourselves, and go forward. And these women in prison were just amazed. I mean, I saw jaws drop and mouths open. It's like, wow, I could take that situation or that home life and give it a whole new twist, think so differently about the things that happened to me and how I reacted or responded to those. And I really recommend that to people that I speak to. I think it's a great exercise in seeing a different perspective 
in how we were raised or what the the life experiences that we've had. And this doesn't have to be, you know, somebody in their uh, early stages of marriage. This can be something even later in life where you look back and think, wow, those did those things did happen. But look where it led me now. Look at the things that it provided or the doors that it might have opened or the people that I met along the way, whatever. Well, so you mentioned marriage. I wanted to hit that next. Just looking at this pursuit of a haven of peace and looking at some of the roots of it, some of the tenets of of that for someone. And of course, you talk about marriage and family and relationships so heavily in the book because it is where you come from, where your mm-hmm. focus is for someone listening to this who is married, heavily involved in a relationships, a relationship if there is not health there, is that a place where they must start? I don't want to say that they can't, they can't create a haven of peace within that, but I would imagine that's going to be a pretty, pretty, pretty hard route to overcome. Do you find that a lot of folks, they've got to start with their relationship in their marriage? Start with what you've got. Start with looking at who is this pair, this person I married? Who is this person I'm living with? How did I love that person right at the beginning? What drew me to him? I know that with my husband, your dad, I was so attracted to his brain, to his intelligence, to his depth. That just intrigued me. My mother had been a member of the Men's Society for High IQs. She did challenge me intellectually, and she did help me learn to love learning. And that's and and there was there I can I can give you a negative uh, twist to that, in that she was continually correcting me that irritated the life out of me as a child. On the other hand, I gained such a love of learning. I saw that in your dad. I loved that about him. Those very things sometimes annoy the crap out of me these days. There are times, or along the way, I should say, I shouldn't say even these days, because I think we've fallen into a season in our lives where we understand each other so much better, and we we so appreciate each other uh, because of all of the years of working together in harmony. Um, that does not mean that we have not had bad days where we don't appreciate each other in the way that we should. That's just normal. There are days when we might get angry or frustrated or whatever. But those days, uh, you know, if you if you really work together to have a win-win situation, that's a one thing that we, we've always tried so hard to do is make sure that any transaction between us is a win-win, that we don't one of us feel like we're the loser on, mm. on the losing end. You know, there's just so many things to think about in your marriage to make it successful, take it a day at a time. And, and, and I think part of your question was alluding to, to people who perhaps might be, uh, have been married for a while and have had some really rough roads and feel like they are going nowhere. Mm-hmm. Start rewriting your story. Start looking at that person that you loved, had a section in that, in the, in the book about, uh, love the person you you're with. And I there are t- days when I would be angry with your dad. But yet I would remember of the things that I love so much about him. The things that drew me to him to begin with. And when you start looking at those things again, and start dating again, start 
spending time together, touching, loving, being respectful, being considerate and kind to this day, your dad still opens the door for me. I am not so much of a woman's liber that I think that I'm strong enough to do that myself. I appreciate that he wants to do that for me. It's a, sh- it's a, it's a point of respect and politeness. And we are polite to each other every single day, not just when it suits. Those are things, those little things you can start one step at a time in creating that marriage that then filters down to your children, because the best gift you can give your children is a happy marriage between the two of you, which I can testify to. Mm -hmm. Thank you. You're welcome for that. And for passing (laughs) that down. I know it's what my kids will testify to as well. So as we talk about their marriage and a deep root, and that's going to bring up some stuff for some people, that's going to be pretty deep and pretty Mm -hmm. difficult, but also just looking at some of the things that you write throughout the book as uh, success principles in essence, but creating a haven of peace principles. You talk about, you just mentioned appreciation and respect. And so much of this comes down to uh, relationships, which is where we all do find sure. purpose generally and find the the, the uh, success that we want. It's never devoid of healthy relationships. Zig is so big on talking about, but on appreciation and respect, you had a part in the book. You said, never miss an opportunity to celebrate. But uh, you also you know, said in there, as you come back to people, it really rang to me as I read that never miss an opportunity to celebrate a person, not just a holiday or a Super Bowl or an achievement, but a person that you always come back to that in creating a haven of peace. Again, it just feels like there's this consistent undercurrent of relational health, relational mm-hmm. health and coming back to that. So as I talked about earlier, ask you the question, what do you see as the biggest culprit? You said busyness. Is that, again, just part of that, that it's the busyness in our lives, it's eroding our relationships, and how can we have a haven of peace? I mean, it's this vicious cycle, in a sense, that you're trying to reverse. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, I'm at a time right now where I've written Creating a Haven of Peace. I speak on Creating a Haven of Peace, and it's all about relationship and family and the home. I have so many opportunities to... Uh, I could I could really pursue a career, so to speak, in speaking uh, conferences, writing more articles, interviews, et cetera, et cetera. I could go on and on. I know how to do those things, and I have a platform for it through uh, through our forty eight days community. However, it occurred to me recently. I was really getting stressed about this because I feel like I've got so much, but yet. I've got so such a great opportunity here, but yet I've got three kids, their spouses, 14 grandchildren, extraneous people that have become parts of the family. Where, If I do all those things and create this fabulous career of that the world seems to mar- be the mark of success, all that family relationship time is going to go down the tubes. It's totally negate what I'm what I stand for what I've written for written about so I had to kind of take a, a new look at how do how am I handling this the book I'm doing interviews I'm doing a minimal amount of speaking and things that still keep in line with what my general principle is and that is the relationships within my family that's got to come first and somebody in the family has to do that in some cases, it is the, the, the husband or the male figure in the home. 
and not the woman. And that's perfectly fine. But somebody has got to take on that responsibility. When two people in that marriage decide to have children, they need to also decide that somebody's going to take primary responsibility of creating a haven of peace or something's going to go. Something is, has, has to be given up. There's only so many hours in the day, so many days in the week. We all have the same amount. And I, for one, am not superwoman, although I've tried to be many times. It doesn't work. I have to just take time, for one thing, for me, for our marriage, and then for our children. And, and now our grandchildren. And those things are so important to me that I'm not going to go off on a big, huge career and go around the world on a speaking tour. I, can't, I could do it. I'm not going to. So it's calling us back to in this effort to look again or for the first time at our priorities and our values and what are we going to safeguard and what are we not going to. Okay. I want to ask you about art in this. So art, um, you know, an expression through it, uh, your, your art and your expression through, I mean, it's such a big part of your life. It was obviously the focus of your first book, be your first art, which folks you can get at 48 days.com, but that anything done well, I think we all would say involves a degree, a great degree of art. Uh, I mean, it's not, let's take Mm -hmm. speaking, presenting. Those are big focal points for the Ziegler audience. I mean, it's not rocket science to list the qualities of a good speaker and presenters. Uh, they can get on stage, follow them by rote, and they'll they'll do a good job, textbook job, right? But to do it well, to do it masterfully, we would say that involves art. I mean, Zig trained to become an artist on stage. So there are bullet points and ingredients, and we're talking about some of them here with creating a haven of peace. But what is the art of it? Well, I I believe that looking back on my life now, I see that there was a lot of art in what I did. I don't think that at the moment that I was doing it, I recognized that. And I think that's very true in in a lot of people's lives, regardless of what they're doing. It doesn't have to just be in the home, but in your business, in your work, and and in your relationships. Everything to be successful has to be nurtured. It has to be uh, made creative. And I do believe that each one of us was made by the greatest creator of all. And because we are made in his image, we by nature are creative. And there's so many ways to use that. And I, uh, I use steps in the book of where in my home, I used the five senses and incorporated those in creative ways that did not cost a lot of money, did not cost uh, even uh, a, a lot of of work many in many uh, instances. It was just little touches here and there that made our home very peaceful. But about uh, one, once my children were grown and gone, and Ashley being the last one to leave, I decided I needed to do something for me. It was kind of what's what I call the ugly year. I had a kind of a, a, a midlife crisis. I didn't know. I felt like I'd been downsized. Like I lost my job. My kids were gone. Now what am I going to do? And I had devoted so much of me into creating this home life that I wanted. But now they weren't going to be there to appreciate it. 
Not that they wouldn't be back, but it was just different. And I didn't know for sure how to handle that. Plus the fact that I that was right when I was diagnosed with MS and I was having a lot of depression and a lot of physical uh, and emotional uh, strains on my life. And I sat down with your dad, who's a great coach on life in, in general and, and certainly career. And one of the things he pointed out to me was that I am very nurturing by nature. So find other ways to nurture. Well, along that line, and I did through our business, I, I nurture, I, I, I always uh, joke I could nurture a rock. But uh, in our in the business, I nurture everybody that comes, they become part of our, our, our whole sphere of friendships, and they become family. But the other thing that I really started to nurture was my creative side. I saw an ad in the newspaper for a class on drawing on uh, from the right side of the brain. And I took that class uh, back in 2000, the year 2000, 2002, I think it was. And I, it was difficult. Let's just put it that way. I got frustrated many times because it was very hard for me. I'd never done any drawing or art like that in in that form ever. And it was quite frustrating at first, but I knew I needed some discipline in my life. And I knew that for two and a half hours on Monday nights, I was at that class and it was just for me. And it was, that was good. I knew instinctively this was good for me. Well, I took that class for almost 13 years. I finally got to the point where I told my art teacher, I'm just paying to be her friend. Because uh, it wasn't that she was teaching me all that much more because we, uh, you know, she didn't know really what to do with me. Most of her students just went on to do other things or to be then to go into painting or whatever. And I so enjoyed the drawing. It was a great release for me in so many ways. And from those, from that very ugly year, Kevin, came all the art that I now do. I paint and I draw. I have been in art shows. I have sold my art. I've won awards for my art. I make cards for my art. I have written Be Your Your Finest Art. I have written Creating a Haven of Peace. I've written five children's books. I've written articles. I've done a blog. I have my own website. All of these things that developed from my ugly year. So I look back and I see how all that fits into place and realize that, wow, there's a voice in there was a voice in me I didn't know I had. And I think that's true with all of us. If we really take the time to listen and to explore, there's so much inside us that we don't know that we have until we pull it out. I love the fruition of going after something like that. You talk about it as a discipline that you're going to go to this art class and out of it, the fruit is beyond anything Mm -hmm. you would have ever imagined, like selling your art. It's it's amazing. Well, so you're talking about some things as we all do. We come from our own personal perspective Mm -hmm. and you talk about, okay, these are the things that you did to create, do to create your haven of peace. Obviously that's going to be different for different people. And I'm going to ask you a question in regards to helping people define what it is and what it isn't, because I think in anything we can pursue something and do it errantly a a bit. Example, my buddy, a business partner who's a doctor, and he talks about we're both fitness guys. We go after Mm -hmm. that. We've done the Pikes Peak Ascent and things like that. And he brought it to my attention. We so often will go after something like that and think, okay, running is good. So the more I run, the gooder it is, right? Mm -hmm. And he said, well, it's not. I mean, if you look at the actual aspects of what creates health and wellness, it would be 
a finite amount of daily physical activity mm-hmm. and of exertion. If you are wanting to run 10 miles a day, that's not for better health. That's to be a better endurance athlete. So if you want to do better in your next race, then that would be good. But is it best for health and wellness? No, not necessarily. And so what are some things that as people would go after creating their own haven of peace, not to define it for them, but to help us understand, okay, wait, it's not this. It's not just going, is a, is a haven of peace plopping down and having the time to watch three hours of TV and eat a bag of Cheetos, you know, is that, oh, if I could just have that, or would you say, no, that's probably not going to equate to the piece that we're talking about here. So just some, uh, just some boundaries maybe on a haven of peace. If you're really wanting peace, it's, it may be this, it may not be this. Well, definitely TV plays into that. And you'll remember that when you children were young, we didn't have TV. There were uh, many years that we just unplugged the TV. We would allow you to have it on the weekend if you wanted to. Mm. But the interesting thing was that during the week, you would find so many other fun things to do, whether it's being outside on your bicycles or uh, playing with the neighbors or playing games or playing games with us. You always enjoyed that. We did a lot of, of playing games. Like Scrabble that we just played and you beat me. And, and I beat yeah. you, yeah. Uh, but I warned you before we even started that you were going to get beat. So, yeah, things like that. Um, those were important enough to us during the week to eliminate TV totally. On the weekend, you were allowed to have it, but you were so busy by then and having so much fun doing other things that you didn't want it. So really, our TV was basically for watching a movie once in a while. Interesting, too, that all three of our children don't have TV. They don't have, like, your basic uh, cable or whatever. None of you do. You don't want it. You don't have it in your home. You have movie nights where you all get together and you have popcorn and you have pizza or whatever and have a fun time and make it an adventure. You know, that's a key word. Our family is keen on having an adventure. Uh, the kids were talking this morning, the adventure they want to do today is we have a zip line here. Well, they've been doing zip line like crazy. It's hot and humid out today. It's in the high 90s, I think, and very humid. And uh, so that we decided this morning they should put the sprinkler under the zip line mm-hmm. and get sprinkled as they go down. They, you know, they're good at creating adventures because they're not sitting in front of the TV all the time. We do fun. We did fun things with you kids, even when we didn't have the money. And to use that as an excuse is a cop-out. Our home, for the most part, has always been greatly decorated by goodwill, garage sales, estate sales, and sometimes just dumpster diving. Mm -hmm. We've done those things. I have no problem with that. I told your father recently, we have a nice home. It's not a mansion. it's, uh, It's a very modest home, really, by most people's estimation. And we love it in that respect. But if we had to go back to the 8 by 42 foot trailer that we lived in for the first four years of our marriage and the trailer where you were born in and, and raised for the first two years of your life, we would be perfectly happy because I know that it doesn't take stuff. It doesn't take a lot of money and it doesn't take a lot of 
uh, even being able to do things beyond the norm to make us happy because we have such great relationships and we can make every day an adventure. So in helping those aspects of peace, I don't have to give credit. It was something that I heard from John Eldridge years ago, where he talked about our propensity to, when we're talking about the topic of peace, our propensity to look forward to relief. Again, the end of the day, take your shoes off, uh, have a meal and, and get some relief. And that's great. I mean, my gosh, we need that, especially in the fast paced society culture that we have today. So relief is good but he made a stark differentiation and I've heard other people do it uh, as well, but he was the first for me between that and renewal. Would you put the aspects that, that again, I like the word tenants, the pillars, the foundation, the roots of creating a haven of peace is going to primarily function more in those. What are those things that do renew, rebuild, rebuild you as opposed to just merely margins of relief? You know, one of the things that I that comes to mind immediately is that on on Sundays, your dad and I really take seriously Sabbath, mm. a day of rest. Mm-hmm. Uh, very frequently in America these days, we fill our every single free moment, so to speak, our weekends full of so many activities and work that has to be done. Because we've put things off or because we need to, we have yards that need to be mowed, whatever it might be. And your dad and I get up and we, re- we read together and we discuss together. We take naps together on Sunday. We go out to eat together. We really take that time to refresh. And it doesn't have to be on Sunday. But if there is even a few hours of a day during the week or something where you have time to refresh, to get away by yourself if you need to meditate. Uh, Ashley, your sister, goes to hot or, uh, hot yoga classes a couple of times, two or three times a week. Now she's teaching those classes. Um, she, she finds that she gets up early in the morning to be able to do that, to take time for herself. And she's got three little ones who are take her very demanding and take up a lot of her time as well as the fact that she works for us, does a lot of stuff for 48 days. And, um, many people who are listening to this will know that she's a very integral part, but she has to take time for herself. I know that you get out in the mountains and you run and you and you bicycle and you you get refreshed by looking out in nature and seeing the beauty all around you. There are so many ways to take moments, glimpses of what we really have available to us by just looking at God's beauty out there that so often we just fail to see because we're so busy and we're coming full circle in this whole conversation to what really hinders our creating a haven of peace. And it's because of our busyness that we don't take in, take the time for intentional living. So I'm going to end us with asking you for, in essence, some quick start steps for folks, for the average family. But before that, I, just as I listen to you, Mom, and of course I'm asking, trying to to be a little unbiased and asking some of these questions, but I lived this, and the thing that I have testified, and I want people to hear this, especially parents, I think, who have the opportunity to influence their kids, 
that as I look at our at my upbringing with you guys through turbulent I, turbulent I mean uh, uh, you know tough times financial mm-hmm. and business ups and downs mm-hmm. and I remember times of you in tears mm-hmm. and I know Dad's uh, heart was broken sometimes in that and I saw those and I'm glad I got to be privy to those which and folks you've heard me if you've listened to the Ziggler show testified to this a couple times that the gift I got of one being privy to the hardship was a gift. It was a gift. One of the things that I would regret the most is if somebody went back in my childhood and erased the exposure to the realities of life, to the hardship, uh, that would, it was a gift to see that because to see that happen and yet still experience a haven of peace and and the experience, then the eventual success gave me. And, and then just, again, having that consistent home of love it ultimately gave me faith. Mm-hmm. And as I've looked at that and looked at the ups and downs of my own life and the ups and downs of my own emotions and psyche, and uh, it has not been a fairy tale existence in my 45 years, nothing tragic, but I've had my ups and downs like other people have. But to realize that I have this undergirding thread of faith, of, of belief, of, of wonder and glory and the, and the divine, I look back and I think, and I see that too in my brother, who's very mm-hmm. different than mm-hmm. I am, my sister, who's very different, and, and of course, so much younger. And yet to see that piece of us, and then the testimonies, and I have to share this with you guys, the testimonies that I get from my kids are often along those lines. What are the things that they appreciate about me? It's that. It's daddy's adventure and his wonder mm-hmm. and his appreciation. And I think I was given that on a silver platter. I was not given the latest Nintendo game. I was not given a brand new car. When I graduated, I was taught how to work. I was taught the value of things. I was taught respect. I was taught appreciation. But then the thing that I always had was that place of, uh, of love and of, uh, a creating a haven of peace. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's the, that's the selling point for me right there is seeing that legacy. You know, Kevin, another thing that comes, another word that comes to my mind is courage. I think that um, being raised in a family where you know you are unconditionally loved, being raised in a family where you've seen adversity and you've been, you've seen people, your family, the people you love most come through that in a way that has um, been successful in our relationships, in maintaining our relationships and so forth. I think that gives you extra courage to get out and try more and do more and not just be the norm. Somebody said something this morning at the breakfast table, which it's kind of hard to even hear because we're all trying to out out talk the other and it's been pretty loud and chaotic and, and lots of fun. But Somebody said something about, uh, well, about being normal. And I said, are you kidding? No one in this family is normal. We don't choose normal at all. Because normal for most Americans these days is coming home from a hard day's work, sitting in front of the TV for the rest of the evening, and not really communicating either that or sitting down with your cell phones or your computer, and you're in your own little worlds, and you're totally not together as a family, communicating, talking, and discussing. We have had some amazing discussions since you all have been here. Even in spite of all the chaos, we have been able to really, really communicate and have relationship adventures, and it didn't include 
television and um, and all of and and all of the electronic devices and so forth, other than taking some pictures, which we've had fun doing. But uh, it it's it really again it comes back to intentional living and and the subtitle to creating a haven of peace is when you're feeling down, finances are flat, and tempers are rising, and all of those things occur. Are you going to be normal and react? Or are you going to respond with new perspective, new ways of communicating that that is just love? I know Jared, so uh, his his family motto is be just be love, be love. And I think that that's that's our family motto in many respects. Be love. That doesn't mean that doesn't incorporate talking mean to each other or being disrespectful or impolite. Be love. Well, the courage is a great word, Mom, because, yeah, it made me think of it is the freedom you've given the fr- the, with a haven of peace, with that se- security, the freedom to be courageous, knowing that there is a safety net, not just what you provide as a parent, but you foster the feeling of there is a safety net. And however you view it, for me, it would be from my my Father in heaven, but there is a safety net in the peace. I mean, you gave me even that faith. As well, and interestingly, you talking about TV it reminds me of something that I I, I doubt you even remember, Dad. Uh, that I got into watching it was probably late teen years. I must have still been at home, and I got into watching professional tennis, and I was really into it. I think that was kind of an oddity. I'd never been into tennis. I was always into endurance sports. You saw me watching it, and you made some quip that irritated me at the moment. And you said, so you're watching it. Have you ever played? I said, no. What, so you're just going to be a spectator or are you going to go see how it really works? Man, that irritated me. And I went and got a racket and I went and learned to play. But that stuck with me. That was one of those things that stuck with me of, you know, it's fine. I, I do. I love an epic movie, movie. I love a great adventure. But if that replaces the own epic adventure and creating a story in my own life, that is not okay. And you guys mm-hmm. bred that in us, but not from a disapproving way or a pressured way at all, but just, a, oh my gosh, how, how, would I, how would I do anything else? I want to watch that movie to spur me on in my own story. And it's interesting, the word courage, uh, Caleb, my oldest, your oldest grandson mm-hmm. at 21 now, with all the medical stuff that he went through and the region, reasons he had to not be courageous, he adopted that. And that's his, he uses that moniker today. It's his email yes. address, Courageous Caleb Daniel, because he wanted to be that. It makes me extra proud of him. So, hey, I want to start, I want to end, I'm sorry, by asking you somewhat for a quick start steps for folks. So if you were plopped down, I think that there's, yeah, I don't have TV, so I don't know the details of it, but there are some shows where they, you know, plop a nanny or, a, or, or something mm-hmm. of that effect into a family where there's, you know, the kids are difficult or something like that. So in that same kind of an idea, if you were plopped into the home of an average American family, who, you know, maybe nothing is super acutely wrong or bad. All is, you know, fine, but there is the normal, unfortunately, you know, cultural busyness, the chaos, mm-hmm. the disconnectedness, the isolation, the lack of intimacy even. And they want peace and joy and intimacy. Where are where would you start? Your oh, plot down. I, I love that concept. I could do that. That just sounds like so much fun. I could go in like the nanny, which I've seen a couple of times on TV a long time ago. I don't know if it's even still on, where she goes in and she takes all these these kids that are misbehaving and she turns that family around. I could so enjoy doing that because one of the things that I notice so often when I'm with other couples is how they respond to each other, how they cut each other off, how they cut each other to the quick by the words that they say. 
And I could, if I were in a situation, especially if I were getting paid for it, where I know they want their money's worth, man, I would say, what you just said, cut to the quick, and you didn't even notice. Or what you just did was so disrespectful. It was so impolite. And why are you demanding this? Or why are you demanding that? What you're doing is creating an environment where somebody's going to lose. Make it an environment where you are continually speaking in love instead. And there are so many ways to do that. But starting with yourself. And how do you talk to the other people in your life? Do you want to be treated that way yourself? That's a biggie for me. I've always felt like I want to treat other people in the way I want to be treated. And it often stems from the fact that I wanted so much to be loved and treated that way when I was growing up. Well, then certainly I want to do that with the people I'm most close to, my family. I want to show them love. And if I were plopped down in, in the middle of a, of a family that was uh, too busy to really have that communication, that love, that respectful home environment, I would start out with how they're communicating with one another. That's the first thing. I would look at how is their house put together? Is it full of clutter? Is it filthy? Is it because that those kinds of things don't lead to creating peace in the home, in, in your environment? How do you respond if dad comes home and he's weary? I remember a time when your dad was going through the worst struggles of our uh, financial struggles of our uh, uh, through our marriage when we lost business and we lost our home. And he was really struggling with what are what is he going to do? What is he going to do? And he would come home and he's got three kids there you know, clamoring for his attention, including me and, and, and me. So we all decided together we were going to give him 30 minutes when he got home to go to the bathroom, strip down, get in a hot tub of water, which we already had ready for him. We had candles around. We'd have music and a cassette player because that's what we had back then. And we would let him just chill in a hot tub of water for 30 minutes before he came out and we all started clamoring to get his attention. Just little things like that, which don't take money, but it takes some intentional work in creating the atmosphere that you want in your home and the the uh, the interaction between uh, all the people involved. Sounds like classic Zig. You can oh. get everything you want if you'll help everybody else exactly. get what they want. Exactly, and I've said that so many times, and I, I really we cannot stop this. Uh, this interview without me saying how much Zig Ziglar played into our lives as a family. You started hearing and actually going to Zig Ziglar conferences when you were still quite small. Mm-hmm. And we, when you had a uh, need for attitude adjustments, mm-hmm. you listened to Zig Ziglar tapes. We made you do that at the time, but I don't think you even objected that much because you, you know, Zig uh, appeals to all ages. And he's funny. He's so right on. He has great life principles. And when uh, after you were gone and I started homeschooling the other two children, I used Zig Ziglar's See You at the Top as one of our textbooks. The kids still remember that. And I think that a lot of the respect and the communication that we have that works so well in our family came from Zig Ziglar principles from many years ago. He was a very big icon in our family and still is. 
Well, so what a gift to do this with you, Mom. Thank you, folks. Uh, as I talked about before in the show, you can go to Joanne, J-O-A-N-N-E-F, as in Fairchild, Miller.com forward slash Haven, H-A-V-E-N, to get a free gift. So go there, connect with her there, get the book, bless your family. Again, some of these principles they are the tenants that Ziegler talked about so long ago, but this is in a an umbrella in a package that is really focused on your life, your home, your relationships, and it will be a dramatic gift to you and all those that fall within your legacy. Mom, thank you for taking your time. Thank you for giving me the haven of peace that I get to speak from today. Oh, you're so welcome, Kevin. I've so enjoyed this, and I'm so proud that you've come full circle, and now you're working with Zig Ziglar Enterprises, and I just think it's amazing. It is a gift and an honor. Thank you, folks. Thanks for tuning in to The Ziglar Show and inspiring our true performance together. We'll talk to you in the next show. 